Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Urbanist Agenda, the podcast where we pull back the curtain to show you how urbanist content creators plot and scheme to make cities work better for everyone. I started this podcast because every content creator I know has a long list of ideas that they'd like to turn into videos someday. I know my list is well over 200 long, and new ideas and topics are constantly coming in. So I wanted to have this opportunity to talk to other YouTubers about what they're thinking about, what they've seen on social media lately, and discuss those topics that are of interest to them but aren't quite ready to be turned into full-length videos. We're going to try releasing these podcasts about once a month at first, though the first two episodes are available right now. Every episode will be uploaded to Nebula a few days earlier, so if you're not already a Nebula subscriber, you can sign up now at nebula.tv agenda. Signing up at that link also helps support this podcast because, believe it or not, we're not funded by some shadowy cabal, unlike some of the people we're about to talk about. I'll have a different co-host on every episode, and this time for the inaugural episode, I'll be talking to Adam from the YouTube channel Adam Something about a topic that just won't go away. The conspiracy theories around 15-minute cities. Can you hear the facepalm I'm making right now? So... Grab a cup of tea and get ready for the unveiling of The Urbanist Agenda. Cue the sick intro tune. Hello everyone, welcome back to The Urbanist Agenda. My name is Jason from Not Just Bikes and my co-host today is... Adam from Adam Something. Adam, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Adam Something. I do those videos on that video site called YouTube. Indeed, yes. I'm quite familiar with that video site called YouTube. <laughs> so Adam uh, is a fantastic channel. I'm assuming that if you're listening to this, you've heard of him already. But if not, check out Adam Something on YouTube. He makes videos about urban planning, but also other topics as well, including leftist politics. He's talked about the war in Ukraine. He talks about topical things more often than I do, which is one of the reasons I wanted to have him on here today to talk about something that's been topical lately, at least over the last few months, which is the conspiracy surrounding 15-minute cities. This is one of these things that I've watched happening and just been shaking my head. And I haven't, to be really honest, I haven't really wanted to uh, talk about it that much because it just seems like a crazy guy screaming in the corner and I'd rather talk about more important things. But anyway, that's where we are here. Any any thoughts on that, Adam? Yeah, there's been a different uptick regarding conspiracy theories about 15-minute cities. And 15-minute cities are now culture war. And walkability is culture war. And human-centric planning is also culture war. Yeah. These culture war issues usually come and go. They're just used as a cynical political ploy to gain outrage. This is usually done by Republican parties, but increasingly the global reactionary far right. But my issue though with the 15-minute city conspiracy is that it is not going to go away mm, yeah. that quickly in my opinion because of certain moneyed interests opposing 15-minute cities. So yeah. the conspiracy not to think that, oh, this is the Bilderbergs are the communists and the Jews. Like, you know, no, like the big money interest is actually behind the conspiracy nuts here. So it's a yeah. completely switched situation. And this is why I think it's not going to go away, this conspiracy anytime soon, because 15-minute cities 
directly harm the profit margins of these corporations and interest groups who oppose 15-minute cities. So these would be, for example, ExxonMobil, who keep funding, you know, fringe lunatic groups, and also the Koch brothers. Oil billionaires are actually the one Koch brother surviving at this point. Oil billionaire who is also behind PragerU, YouTube's massive right-wing disinformation channel. Yeah, and you've talked about PragerU in the past. I know, like, years ago, they made a War on Cars video that... Good friends over at PragerU, yes. That was a bunch of nonsense. I know you made a video talking about that. So actually, before we get too deep into it, I guess for people who maybe haven't heard of this before or haven't heard of the term before until this conspiracy, which I think is interesting, I've actually found there's been an interest in what 15 minutes actually are since this happened, because a lot of people just hadn't heard about it before. But let me talk really briefly. A 15 minute city is just a neighborhood. Well, sometimes called 15 minute neighborhoods. It's just a neighborhood where you can get pretty much most of the things you need for daily life within 15 minute walk or cycle of your house. That's it. It's really, really not that exciting. I actually think 15 minute cities is kind of a silly term, which is why I've never used it on my channel before. I just, I mean, it's okay. It's, I mean, it's a good a, catch, catch. A little bit catchy, I but yeah. I just, I've never felt the need to talk about it. I feel like just talking about walkable cities and mixed use walkable neighborhoods is, you know, a perfectly reasonable thing to talk about. But anyway, 15 minute cities is a bit of branding. It's funny to me because. The only reason we need this term at all is because we've been building our cities incorrectly for so many years that we now need to be reminded how to do it properly. It's all kind right. of like traditional development is another one. Yeah, it's 15-minute city or, as we've known it before World War II, a city. So, you know. Yeah, right. It's. I think I've made the joke in the traditional, when talking about traditional development, it's what we used to call the way you build things. Like yeah. <laughs> the way you used to build things. That's it. It's literally just a normal way of building a city so that... You're not car dependent. The opposite of the 15 minute city is the car dependent city where you can't even feed yourself without getting in a car, yeah. which is crazy, but it exists all over the US and Canada. So the 15 minute cities thing, the name of it kind of it's been floating around for a little while, but it kind of started with the changes that are happening in Paris with uh, the mayor, uh, Anne Hidalgo, oh, yes. one of the people working on her administration came up with the term in French, of course about how she wanted to improve Paris so that everybody had what they needed within 15 minutes. And the truth is, this stuff has been going on for years, since about 2020 anyway. It's been a relatively recent thing. The pandemic has woken people up to the fact that their cities are better when there are fewer cars. Thank you, China. <laughs> We're mixing our conspiracies here, Adam. <laughs> and anyway... This is not new in terms of like an urban planning concept. It's just, it's got a little bit of a, a shiny name to it now. Yeah, I mean, it's a complete sort of manufactured uh, outrage around the name 15-minute cities. I mean, I think it's a good catch-all term. Like if you want to explain it to someone, like just, you know, Uncle Joe who just wants to grill, you know, <laughs> what is this? Well, it's a 15-minute city, you know? Like, it's like, oh, okay, so that's, that's catchy, that sounds nice, that's marketable, yeah. which... Okay, fine. But uh, I mean, the 15-minute city, I mean, I can also see from a conspiracy nuts perspective how the 15-minute city eco-apartheid and stuff like that. I mean, this also has, unfortunately, disturbed a lot of sort of outrage conspiracy marketing potential. It's kind of like how the vote counting machines were operated by like Dominion was the company's name. Right. It's, it's just a company name, whatever. But like it, the name itself has, of course, massive conspiracy nut potential. And I think with the 15 minute city as well, because it's numbers, it's scary. Like conspiracy people find numbers generally scary because, you know, numbers are communism, uh, especially when they disagree with them, that is Jewish. So I think this is just a unhappy coincidence into which companies like ExxonMobil and 
interest groups like you know the Koch brothers, uh, Koch brother, singular, and other climate change deniers, etc., just like piled in. Now, there is of course a large number of genuine crazy people who just think that the communists are out to get them, the Jews are out to get them, and the 50-minute city is their latest tool to bring down Western civilization, heterosexual, white males, etc. But then again, a massive part of this is just being astroturfed by big-moneyed interests like the oil companies. Because the 50-minute city cuts into the bottom line of these giant corporations. Yeah. And this is the bottom line. Really. Like This is why I think it will not go away, this conspiracy wave, because these corporations, they are, of course, incentivized to eliminate as many threats to their profits as possible. And the 50-minute city currently is, I would say, one of the most severe threats to giant oil corporations, like big oil, uh, let's call yeah. it. Well, I think the thing is, I started my channel because we moved to the Netherlands and it was basically an explanation of why we gave up on North America and why we wanted to live in the Netherlands. And ultimately, the reason was because we have a better quality of life here. And so you think here is moving from a place that should be, if you listen to the car industry propaganda, it should be utopia, right? Like my hometown should be utopia. Everyone oh, yeah. has a car. Everyone has multiple cars. Everyone can drive everywhere they want. They never need to get cold or wet or anything else. And it's going to be this wonderful place. But the truth of the matter is it actually kind of sucks to sit in traffic all the time. It really sucks to not be able to like literally not be able to feed yourself without getting in a motor vehicle. Like you need two tons of steel to feed yourself. It's ridiculous. Love to have my life behind a paywall. Exactly. That's exactly right. I think that's exactly the right term. It's like having your life behind a paywall. Whereas when we discovered that we could live somewhere where we can literally do whatever we want with a short walk or maybe a bike ride, anything farther, we can hop on a train or a tram or something. And we can even get a car if we want to. I mean, it's not like it's not allowed. It's just I don't drive very often, not because I don't like driving, not because I hate cars, but just because why would I? It's way more convenient to walk, cycle or take public transit than it is to have to get in a car. And so the fundamental thing with my channel is that this way of living is better. It's better for a lot of people. It's actually better for most people, I would argue, even the people who have to drive because there's less traffic. So this is a better way of living, but it's inevitable that if everybody lived this way, there would be a lot fewer cars sold and there would be a lot less gasoline sold. And that's just fact. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Of course, this is why they're being funded by big oil. But the issue is, I think there's a more fundamental underlying issue here. Let me just get out my Slavoj Žižek impression. <laughs> I think that in our world currently is a rage and discontent is absolutely exploding everywhere, you understand? And I think this is part of the fact that neoliberal capitalism is reaching its limits. <laughs> you know, so Fantastic. Very well done there. <laughs> thank you. Zizek uh, impression aside, yeah. The underlying issue is that, of course, there is discontent. There is rage all around us. There is, right. you know, people are not really happy. And they have good reason not to be happy. Let's be clear about that, right? Yeah, of course. I mean, people are just not living as well as they used to or as they were promised. And this is, according to Slavoj Zizek, which I generally agree with, is due to the fact that our current system is reaching its limits. And yeah. the problem is we don't really have an idea yet as to how we should reform our current neoliberal capitalism. Because as Zizek puts it, we have three solutions, none of them work. Soviet socialism is gone. It's dead. The Western welfare state is currently dying. And the third option would be this direct democracy power to the people. But that's also not ideal. It's also not good, I think, because we face global problems. So then if you devolve power into the micro level, well, then 
how are you going to solve problems that affect the planet? I mean, right. at that point, you, you of course won't. And um, since we don't have any solutions to the current issues, we have no idea. I think Zizek puts it in a way that we are all Fukuyamaists, in a sense that we all believe that history has ended, that neoliberal capitalism is the ultimate system that we have, and that there is nothing beyond this. This is the apex. And all we can do is just to make marginal improvements yeah. currently. And this, of course, is, I mean, this is not true. And we see that the current system is breaking apart in front of us. And this produces a ton of discontent, a ton of rage. So far-right populists like Trump, Orban, etc., Le Pen, all around the world capitalize on. And then these giant, like, conspiracy industry complexes grow out from the ground, which then, as we see now, big oil tends to direct their creative energies into the right direction, which is to oppose 15-minute cities. Yeah. Well, the thing is, big money interests are always going to hold the power and they have the most amount of sway. That's very difficult to change. I mean, I guess I would say to people who, I mean, look, there's some people who are just in the deep end here, but I would say to people who are going towards this conspiracy theory, like, we agree with you that there are problems with the world. There are a lot of problems with the world. But like doing exactly what the fossil fuel companies and the car industry wants you to do is not the solution, man. Some of these people are being played like a fiddle by these fossil fuel organizations. They really oh. are. Oh, yeah. I would say that, yes, there is actually a conspiracy, but the other way around, you see. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if the people protesting against eco-apartheid, green communism, whatever, I mean, they are the ones who are being funded by essentially dark money. If someone is keen towards these conspiracy theories as well, follow the money, right? Yeah. Always, always follow the money. Here in the, with 50-minute cities, who loses out? Who loses money? Well, car industry, oil industry. I don't think there is even any malice behind them doing this, like, you know, funding conspiracy groups and opposing these things. I don't think this is malice. This is just how the system works, right? This is, you know, there's fiduciary responsibility, meaning that, you know, you should always take steps which will make the most money for your shareholders. And a version of this applies, of course, like funding conspiracy groups is like, is gray zone. So there's no legal requirement. But of course, these corporations will do what will make them the most money or that will safeguard their profits. Mm -hmm. And 50-minute cities are a threat to their profits. Therefore, they will find any way possible. This is not just them funding, you know, conspiracy networks. This is also them just paying up politicians or st and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, actually, currently in the Czech Republic, this is actually an interesting example. Currently in the Czech Republic, I mean, the Czech Republic is generally a, I mean, it's a European country, right? I mean, cities are built how North American cities should be built, ideally. Right. That's pretty neat. But the Czech Republic is strangely car-centric as a country. Of course, they have this gigantic car, well, not gigantic, but sizable car manufacturer called Škoda, which is now owned by the Volkswagen Group, by the way. Right. But also in Germany, there's a huge presence of the car industry. And interestingly enough, in the Czech Republic and in Germany, real bike-friendly planning is surprisingly difficult to achieve. Hmm. So the more sway car industry holds in the country, the difficult it becomes suddenly. And yeah. of course... There's been this battle recently that the, so the mayor of Prague is the ultimate boomer. Like he is just this 80 something year old, decrepit, like, you know, overweight dude who takes his car every day to work in the center of Prague. I think his promotional photo was when he arrived to, I think his first day on the job as being a mayor. He was walking away from his car in the center of Prague. And the car was like in an area where he should not park, like in front of a crosswalk where it's not allowed. So that's the attitude. There's currently a huge debate in Czech society, in Prague mainly, about 
well, should we live car free? Should Prague have less cars? I mean, if you know my content, I'm, I would say, oh, fuck yeah, dude, of course. Actually, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I don't know if swearing is allowed. On, uh, I think it's perfectly fine. Go nuts. All right. So basically, Prague is overwhelmed by cars at this point. Like That is true. The historic center, Prague 1, so-called, is run by conservatives. And it is just a car depot, basically. There's cars everywhere in the beautiful, historic, medieval city core. Even they just like... They just uh, slot cars in whatever they can. And there's been this increasing discussion among Czechs that like, huh, maybe this is just not the best thing, right? Right. And there's now every week, there is also the last generation, the, I think, Posledinigenerace group who protest on Prague's sort of Soviet era urban freeway, the so-called Magistrala. They block two lanes out of three and they just like slowly walk across it causing a traffic jam, of course, they are protesting to institute universal 30 kilometers per hour right. in Prague, which is, I think, is a very nice thing. That is something Amsterdam's doing, actually. They're in the middle of changing everything to 30 kilometers an hour. Oh, good. Amsterdam is approximately like 50 years ahead of Prague, maybe well, 30. Well, notice that the Netherlands does not have a car industry. And yeah. I think the point that you made there about the car industry having an effect on these things is absolutely correct. And I don't think that's any kind of conspiracy. I think that's just the natural result of having a car industry. Because the thing is, if you have a car industry, you're going to have a bunch of people who work in that industry or connected to that industry, right? Like, for example, I grew up in southwestern Ontario, which has a huge car industry there. They make all sorts of cars for American brands and even the foreign brands for the North American market. My aunts and uncles all worked at GM or other companies connected to the auto industry. My grandfather started his own screw manufacturing company, basically, for making custom metal parts. And the vast majority of his customers were car industry customers. So you think about someone even like my grandfather, who you would think he owned his own company later on in his life. He had worked for a while and then started it actually after he retired. So he was making like literally tool and die stuff, right? So you would think, okay, well, that's not car industry. But when he's selling into the car industry, is he going to be in favor of cars, the industry doing okay? Well, hell yeah, he is, right? And so I don't think like if my grandfather, if he were alive today, coming out and saying, well, you know, I don't know if it's such a good idea to get rid of all these cars. I mean, that's not a conspiracy. That's just him looking out for his own well-being, right? Oh, sure. Yeah, this is a very difficult situation, actually. So you have to balance the well-being of multiple groups who sometimes overlap. So basically, your grandfather, or let's take me, for example, if I start a tool and die company, and my family depends on being suppliers to the local auto industry, which in Hungary, there is a preponderance of, by the way. So there's like a, a huge numbers of assembly lines, etc. I am Hungarian, if anyone's wondering. I right. grew up in Hungary. The plants that are in Hungary represent the very end of the production chain. So it's nothing big. Like this is like being assembled. But people still depend on it. So the problem becomes people depend on it for their livelihoods. So their lives will be measurably worse should those car industries scale back, right? A lot of people will have a lot worse life, but then the consequences of the car industry, of what they create and how they shape cities by proxy, meaning just by consequence of us planning around cars, that also makes life miserable for a lot of people, potentially even more. Right. And of course, as you said, there is overlap there too. People can be working in the car industry and also be having very negative effects, even health effects and things like that from cars. Oh, yeah. yeah. So the problem becomes, you know, which way are you going to go? The status quo is no longer sustainable. And we're going to have to make some very difficult choices, I would yeah. say, and very soon. Actually, we're like increasingly making it. But I would say here, I'm going to say a swear word to... Uh, uh, to... <laughs> Prepping everybody. Swear yeah, word yeah. incoming. 
Yeah, trigger warning for <laughs> it's mostly for fellow lefties. It's incrementalism. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Dun, Dude, dun, dun. He said there was going to be a swear word. You didn't say. <laughs> yeah, sorry for the trauma. No, but I think this is an instance where incrementalism can actually work. So if you do a gradual phase out of cars, then if you leave time for industry to reorient itself a bit, that can work. Of course, this would require like government intervention. So this would require a cohesive plan if the government decides, okay, which I mean, let's be clear, I'm dreaming right now. Like this is, there are only <laughs> pro cycling and pro pedestrian, etc. planning only happens on these like local initiative level. So Anne Hidalgo is doing a great job in Paris. It's excellent, really. I've been there this year. I've seen it for myself. It's awesome. You go outside of Paris to these suburbs run by different people, it's the same old shit. So Yeah. And in fact, Paris has some stuff that if you change the brand names, you could think they were in the US. Uh, sorry, not Paris, France, outside of Paris. Yeah, right. These are still happening on a local level, which I would think in an ideal world, you know, in a world where green communists run the government, <laughs> we should ideally have some sort of overarching plan. Like, okay, these are our target numbers for number of vehicles on the road and modal split. For those of you who don't know, modal split is what percentage of people use what to get around. So, you know, 20% cars, 50% public transportation, etc. So we should have a coherent plan, which forecasts, okay, we're going to have this much car, this much, and then we also project, okay, we have this much manufacturing capacity and the factories are set up to manufacture this many cars, right? Then we go, okay, let's sit down with these manufacturers and be like, okay, look, this is how it's going to be. Decongestion has wide public support generally. Even in Prague, as it turns out, even in Prague, more than three quarters of the population says that there are too many cars there. So this is a measure with broad popular support. So you're going to have to shift your operations to something else. And this could be something similar to what happens with like, you know, these old coal mining areas in Europe, not in the UK, but in the rest of Europe, where instead of just like cutting it like, yep, yeah, well, goodbye, no coal. Instead, there is like programs of like, okay, we're going to phase yeah. out coal. We're going to have like a bunch of training programs to like get miners into other like factories. For example, this is by no means, you know, learn to code, like trying to teach <laughs> miners how to code or something. Just like job training program. If, if they want to get another like hands-on blue collar profession, then the state will of course help them. So I think in order to Ideally, this should happen with decongestion measures, should we have it enacted broadly, because this way we could minimize societal friction and it will provide less opportunity for, say, big oil to astroturf, these like discontented groups, because there'll be less of them, essentially. Yeah, yeah I mean, there's a whole other wider political issue here. And I think it is interesting. I mean, the thing is, these protests are very clearly being funded by fossil fuel interests. And if anybody thinks that we're inventing conspiracies here, I'll put a link in the description, but there's a few articles there. There was one good investigation done by DSmog that shows that this stuff really is coming straight out of the fossil fuel network here. And the funny thing is, like, I spent a little bit of time looking at some of the Twitter accounts that were pushing the 15 minutes cities conspiracy. And I looked at these accounts before the 15 minute conspiracy was being promoted. And it's all climate denialism. It's entirely climate denialism all the way down. Oh, yeah. Right. And it's so incredibly obvious that around the same time, they all started talking about 15 minute cities, all of these Twitter accounts. And I think Look, some of these, you know, you can say some of these are bots and some of these are sock puppet accounts and everything else. And some of these are just people who are in that sphere, right? And they're just, they have issues with their life. Maybe they have even lost their job because of green initiatives or whatever. I don't know. But there's definitely a message that went out to these people a few months ago and they started talking about it. And you see there, again, I'll put some links in the description, but it's the Heartland Institute. 
And the other one is Not Our Future. So Not Our Future, for example, has been talking about climate lockdowns even before the pandemic. They were saying that climate lockdowns are coming. This is something they invented. And they've been talking about it. And they've been finding any example they can as to, here's an example. This is it. This is what we've been talking about for all these years. Obviously, the pandemic had real lockdowns. And that really, really rocketed them up in terms of their visibility. Oh, yeah. But the 15-minute cities was just the latest thing. And you can see it very clearly. If you look even just a little bit into the history of this stuff, they were saying, oh, this is a climate lockdown, and that's a climate lockdown. And look, there's another climate lockdown. And look at all these examples. It's so obvious. The wealthy billionaires are coming down, and they're going to make us do this and that. And then one of them was, and look at the 15-minute cities, and that one just took off. I've seen people on my subreddit and stuff like that saying, oh, this happened because you know Oxford proposed this, or Edmonton proposed that, or Canterbury proposed this. This has nothing to do with any of those programs at all. This was just, they were desperately trying to find anything to hang their climate lockdown conspiracy on, and the 15-minute cities was the one that took off. Oh, yeah. In some sense, well, actually, I might need to break out my Zizek impression again. <laughs> in some sense, in some sense, I believe the, the conspiracy nuts are tragically correct about... Uh, <laughs> all right. That's enough. That's <laughs> wait, enough. Wait, wait. So they, they, but I they didn't are, bring they, Zizek on this podcast, man. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. They are actually tragically right about something, right? So the big fear of, in these conspiracy circles I found, expressed it very simply, they are afraid of being put in the pod and being forced to eat the bug, right? right. If they get in the pod, eat the bug. Right. Which is a valid concern, but that's not coming from the environmentalists, right? Of course, they will look at, you know, today I went to the store and I saw like vegan salami. Ah, oh, <laughs> I, I will not eat the bug. <laughs> Fuck you. Okay. Uh, by the way, vegan salami is great. Like it for me, tastes better than the real thing. You know what? This is just like I was saying that uh, living in a walkable city is better. And that's going to be the real fear to them. I've been eating Beyond Meat burgers and they're actually better. Yeah. They're, oh, yeah. They don't sit like a rock in my stomach like a greasy meat burger does. And so now I've switched to them, not because of any sort of environmental reason, just because I prefer the taste of them. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, me too, basically. So, I mean, I'm looking forward to when Beyond Burger is culture war, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm sure Beyond Burger, well, I guess it hasn't hit full steam culture war yet. <laughs> yeah, not, not yet. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, Rupert Murdoch will get to it eventually, don't worry. So <laughs> well, what I was going to say, though, is that the conspiracy nuts are tragically correct in a sense that, so the future that they are afraid of looks like is heading towards us, but not from the side that they think. The left is trying to actually counteract this, though, as I said, like we have no idea yet how, because there's no alternative as of yet. But the current direction that this sort of late-stage neoliberal capitalism is taking is essentially the getting the body debug, right? So as the wealth concentrates more and more, 90% will have less and less. And meanwhile, corporations grow and consolidate and exert their influence and power. And we end up in situations where, through the overwhelming power of these corporations, conglomerates, etc., people just become consumer units. So if you look at the U.S. cities, like they are extremely atomized. They live in these commercial suburbs. Well, and the middle class is being destroyed in the United States. Basically. And they live in these sort of atomized neighborhoods, far from each other in these like cardboard houses. They have their little metal boxes in front of them. You know, that's the paywall access to right. the rest of the city, which to me is the real getting the pot, eat the bug, right? In terms of eat the bug, I mentioned this in the video recently, food deserts are a thing in the US. Like yep. something like 24 million people live in food deserts. And so the dystopian future that the conspiracy people are afraid of 
is tragically already here, more so in areas where corporations are allowed to run amok, essentially. Of course, in Europe, you have more controls. So European leadership is less captured by corporations, it seems, in general. It varies. It's only captured by Qatar every once in a while, you know, like when they fund some Italian politicians. But otherwise, in the US, this is actually very clearly visible. Like in Europe, if you go to a city, you still have communities, you still have these social areas. Though in some places, this is, of course, eroding. Yeah. Not so many people live in Prague 1 anymore because it's all Airbnb, because it's worth it to rent your house out as an Airbnb. Yeah. And everyone else just like gets tossed to the wind, like gets like pushed out from the center farther apart. And these new satellite suburbs are being built, though on a very small scale. So what urbanists in the Czech Republic are mad about is like two streets that have like a kind of like a bad public transit connection, sort of. <laughs> so it's not like uh, North America. Obviously. I think that this, I see this discussion all the time where online where Europeans will say, you know, my place is just as car dependent as the U.S. is. And then the Americans will come in and say, well, do you have this and this and this? And they're like, oh, my God, no. What are you talking about? And no, they're really not. But I think coming back to your issue and the conspiracy is that if this was really about control, then these people would be advocating for rural living with solar panels and electric cars that were open sourced and, you know, available to everyone to fix and repair. Like that would be their freedom to move wherever they want without anybody telling them what to do. But clearly that's not what they're proposing. They're proposing more cars and no EVs and all fossil fuel based stuff. I mean, it's really, really clear that this is not at all about this freedom of movement or being locked in or anything. And it's literally the fossil fuel companies are playing these people like a fiddle. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. It's also this idea interacting with their brains, the conspiracy people's brains, that, you know, cars equal freedom. Yeah. But that comes from decades and decades and decades of marketing from car companies. Oh, yeah. But like, of course, the newer generation doesn't really believe in this anymore. But if you look well, at Well, they also can't afford cars, right? Yeah. <laughs> Right. But if you look at those protests, I mean, the average age is not in the 20s or 30s or 40s, or maybe not even in the 50s. Yeah. So it's a bunch of like mad boomers, essentially, which I mean, seeing how Facebook rots the brains of my grandparents generation, I mean, I'm not surprised. Facebook has been a just like this festering hive of the most insane conspiracy shit, really, for years now. And in a tragic sense, just to loop in social media companies to the equation as well, I mean, social media companies revel in right-wing conspiracy stuff because, well, you know, good news is no news, outrage gets clicks, yeah. and thus add revenue. So Yeah, and you know, honestly, I don't even think that it's just limited to right-wing things. I think, honestly, when you look at the financial motivations of social media companies, it's really just as many clicks and outrage as possible. Oh, yeah. People arguing about literally anything in the comments brings more people back to the site. It ticks up their numbers for daily active users. Oh yeah, sure. So in some tragic sense, once again, the evil corporate establishment, quote unquote, seems to be on the side of the conspiracy theorists who claim to be against the corporate control. Because I mean, hey, if you put on Facebook a post about like, okay, so this is the mRNA vaccine, this is how it does, da, 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 and it's like a A4 page, explains everything. <laughs> That'll get like 12 likes and with some comment of like, hello, Martha, how are the kids or something like that. Uh, but if you post a picture like, I gave COVID-19 vaccine to my daughter and now she, her head exploded and the Bilderberg and ah, like, you know, if you do something like that, that shit will get tens of millions of views go all yeah. around the world. The wildfire gets translated to other languages by people with similar affinities abroad. And this actually happens a lot in Hungary that like they take these... American culture war bullshit and they just translate it into Hungarian and start running like essentially Fox News disinfo 
in Hungarian quote-unquote public media. Yeah, I've seen the same thing in the Netherlands for what it's worth. Mm. A few years ago, the leader of the far-right party was calling his opponents Democrats. Like, this oh, okay. is a Democrat plan. I'm like, dude, this has nothing to do with anything to do with Europe and the Netherlands. The Democrats is... Was it Gert Wilders? The fr- no, no, it was uh, Terry Baudet, who oh, was okay. the FVD. Oh, okay. And he was, you know, calling people Democrats, which is obviously just, it's coming out of America and it's being translated into Dutch. We're seeing exactly the same thing. They talk about woke here too. Like, what does that even mean? It has literally no meaning anymore especially when it's been morphed and translated and everything else is just used as a pejorative. Yeah, woke is just like a catch-all. They're like, they don't know how to define it. Like if you ask someone to define it, like from their camp, I mean, their brain will explode. But generally, woke is a catch-all term which changes its meaning in the context. So, you know, when you say, oh, you know, I've seen a black person kissing a white person on TV, that's woke. You know, woke defines the, characterizes the opposition to, you know, interracial relationships, basically. If the slave-owning South would be around today, like they would call the North woke. They would call Abraham Lincoln woke. It's a term that's lost all meaning, and I find online when someone's pressed to define it, they give a different definition than everyone else has ever given. Everyone has their own individual definition. But of course, that's the way these things work. And I think, bringing it back to the conspiracy here, the 15-minute cities conspiracy also doesn't mean anything. One of the things that I found interesting is it's actually not tied at all to anything related to the 15-minute cities initiatives that's been done by any real city anywhere ever. Mm. Like, for example, in Oxford, they were saying that the license plate cameras were the things that were the 15-minute city. There was literally nothing to do with 15-minute city. That was just a traffic control system. It's like a toll system to keep too much traffic off the road in rush hour. Nothing to do with 15-minute cities. And in fact, it's something that's, for example, Oslo's done before. In Canterbury, they said the 15-minute cities initiative was not being able to drive through the center of the city. Also, nothing to do with 15-minute cities. That's actually Mm. just putting the city into quarters, something that's been done in Groningen and Ghent in Belgium, Groningen in the Netherlands, stuff that's been done all over the place. Nothing to do with 15-minute cities. So again, it's just a term that is being thrown onto anything because... This is not a coherent movement. Like, again, I've seen people saying, oh, you know, the only reason they're doing this is because they're upset about this policy or they're upset about that proposal. It has nothing to do with this. They are literally throwing a term at everything and anything to see what sticks. Oh, yeah. It's just like this amorphous. It all begins with a feeling that, like, things are fucked, right? Right. You know, things are out of whack. The vibe check is off, which they're correct, absolutely, on that for reasons I've detailed earlier. And then this amorphous, aimless, directionless rage just sort of surfaces whenever there is something happening which they consider to be part of this vaguely defined blob which is coming for them, which I think I've also detailed. And sometimes this directionless, which is like a geyser, basically just like, just like coming up. Sometimes corporations put a proverbial rig over it to direct the energy towards something that they don't like, you know, like, uh, you know, the 50 minute city in this case, because, because right. it cuts into the profit margin. So yeah, I think, congratulations, Jason, we just solved conspiracy forever. <laughs> this has been a very productive podcast. I feel like we defined it. We haven't solved anything. But the thing is that it is so frustrating. I don't know about you, but I've been getting the WEF shill stuff in my comments for a couple of years now where nutcases come in and they're like, oh, you're paid off by so-and-so and it's someone different every time. Man, I wish I was paid off by one of these guys. Wouldn't it be great to get some of that billionaire funds? Oh, I yeah. really appreciate that. But no, sorry, it's mostly my Patreons and a few sponsors that are funding me. I mean, if you want real grassroots by the people for the people stuff, I mean, look on the left because on the right... 
It recently came out that, for example, Steven Crowder most likely could never have his show be profitable. He could never make a living out of it because he was just like funded by right-wing billionaires, essentially. Yeah, like, that's right. He was like trying, offering to sell his company, but then when people actually looked into it, it wasn't worth anywhere close to what he was trying to sell it for. Is that what it was? What I'm referring to is the Daily Wire business. Oh, that yeah. Like, right. The Daily Wire offered him, what, like $5 million? That's right. Steven Crowder. It's like, Steven I'm worth Crowder, more than that, yeah. Yeah, declined it. But yeah, because of course, because he's getting more money, like this is like conservative dark money, right? And I think... There was another YouTuber, Philippe DeFranco, maybe, like a big YouTuber, million plus subscribers, just like talking about current affairs, etc. And it's known that they reached out to him at one point that like, because he, he was like this centrist sort of like, not left or right. right. Someone reached out to him actually being, hey, would you like to promote some of our talking points? They were like, we're like conservative, right-wing-ish, here's a bunch of money. And yeah. he declined. And it's like, Fuck, man, where are those people when I need them, right? Like, I know. Where is George Soros? Like, George know, Soros right? is supposed to be funding all this, apparently, because he once gave a few thousand dollars to the Democrats or something. And, oh, yeah. And, I like, mean, you're Hungarian. Shouldn't uh, George Soros be in a palace right now? <laughs> yeah, where's my Soros money, you know? Yeah, but, like, what Soros does in Hungary is just, like, have these NGOs which try to make things better locally. Like, I know a guy who runs this, like, cooperative pub with his friends, and the premises are rented out to them from one of these NGOs, which is also funded by Soros. But like, this is just this completely innocuous bullshit. Yeah. Meanwhile, half the fucking right-wing elite are, were over at like Epstein's Island banging 12-year-olds. So, you know, I'm being a bit hyperbolic, but still. Well, I, I think, yes. I think that's part of your MO. I think there is a bit of projection going on here because some of these, not all, but some of these channels really legitimately are being funded, but they're not our channels. Steven Crowder, he's got this beautiful set with a really nice lighting and he's got a whole oh, bunch yeah. of guys on set all the time. And like, it's clearly a high production setup there. And I'm like, got a little corner of my office here yeah, and a yeah. microphone. I look at this and I'm like, there's no way, man. Like, there's no way that if you were being funded the way I'm being funded with Patreons and a handful of sponsorships here and there, there's no way you'd be able to afford that set with those people and that lighting and everything else. And yeah, uh, I don't know. Anyway, yeah, actually, where, if... <laughs> all I'm saying is, where the hell's my money? If I'm supposedly this WEF shill, then where's my money, WEF? Yeah, I know, right? I'm looking forward to the George Soros check. I mean, I've been waiting for it forever. It never came. Anyway, so is yeah. there anything else before we wrap up here that you want to say on 15-minute cities or anything else in this realm? No, I think we discussed pretty much all of it. So 15-minute cities are nice. In some tragic sense, 15-minute cities are the ultimate conservative position because we're trying to return to monkey, basically, that like, oh, yeah, the old ways are, in this case, <laughs> the correct way, right? Right. So I reject this postmodernist nonsense that our cities must be dotted with parking lots and urban freeways. And I advocate for the return to true tradition of 15-minute walkable cities. All right. Well, thanks so much, Adam. I'm just happy to live somewhere where I can walk to what I need and don't need a paywall to feed my family. So oh, yeah. <laughs> thanks so much. Relate. You want to promote yourself just before we go? I'm Jason from Not Just Bikes. Check it out by searching Not Just Bikes on YouTube. Uh, Adam? Oh, sure. Thank you for having me on. I am Adam Something. You can find me on YouTube slash Adam something. All right. Great. Well, thanks so much, Adam. And we'll have you on again sometime to talk about something equally as interesting. All right. Looking forward to being on the Bicycle Jihad podcast <laughs> next time. Cheers. Bye-bye.
That's all we have today for the Urbanist Agenda, but if you just can't wait to hear the next episode, I recommend you sign up to Nebula because every episode is uploaded there first. You can sign up at nebula.tv agenda, and doing so also supports this podcast. Nebula also gives you access to all of the other creators who are on there, which is now over 150 at this point. You'll find videos and podcasts and classes, but there are also Nebula Originals, which are high-budget productions by content creators you may already know on a whole wide range of educational subjects. If you sign up with our link, that's nebula.tv agenda, then you'll get a discount off a yearly membership. That's $20 off, bringing it down to $30 per year, which is honestly a hell of a deal for what you're getting. Thanks again for listening to The Urbanist Agenda, and maybe next time you'll be listening on Nebula, and then you won't even hear this part.